Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg is on Time Magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential people. He's a controversial environmentalist, economist, director of the Copenhagen Consensus Center think tank. He's a best-selling author. Cool It is uh, one of his books. Also, How Much Have Global Problems Cost the World? Uh, Dr. Lomborg is in Paris for the U.N. Climate Conference and writes the U.N. Conference misses the mark. Even if all the goals are met, the planet will cool only 0.05 degrees Celsius. He also writes the world's political leaders are gambling the world's economy on climate and challenges the hundreds of billions of dollars the U.N. demands from developed nations to assist poor nations meet climate objectives, arguing starving and undereducated children don't need solar panels. They need something else. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg, Lomborg.com is the uh, website. BjornLomborg.com. Joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. Lomborg, good to have you back on the program. It's been a while. Um, what do kids need? If they don't need solar panels, what do they need? Hey, Roy, it's good to be back. And look, if you, if you look to most developing countries, they need these very basic, simple things like a good education, Maybe even just food and the ability to not die from easily curable infectious diseases. Uh, so you mentioned a couple of, of, uh, of polls. Uh, the UN itself has actually done a poll of eight and a half million people around the world. They've asked them, what are the most important things for you? And they gave them 16 different options. One of them was action on global warming. And perhaps not very surprisingly, it came 16 of 16. It came dead last. Again, this doesn't mean we shouldn't also think about how to fix global warming, but very clearly most people have more important and pressing issues, like having their kids survive. Yeah. The argument in Paris from the leaders, including our new prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and others, is the target has to be keeping the climate warming, if I understand it correctly, to 2% Celsius above pre-industrial levels, or will reach the tipping point of calamitous climate catastrophe, and hundreds of political leaders have bought in, and they're pushing for the $100 billion per year delivered to the U.N. climate fund by and after 2020. Our prime minister, as I mentioned, committed Canada to $2.6 billion over the next five years. This is their answer. This is the money to be spent to keep the poor and developing countries from becoming massive carbon emitters. What's wrong with this approach, the formula they're so gung-ho about, Dr. Lomborg? <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's a lot of things wrong about this. So, first of all, there is no way we're going to make it to two degrees. Uh, If you just do the simple math, the UNFCCC, so the guys who are actually organizing the event here in Paris, they have made a report that tells us if everyone does everything to the very, very largest extent of all their carbon-emitting cut promises till 2030. So if everybody does everything they promised, we will cut about 56 gigatons to 2030. Now, nobody has any sense of what gigatons really mean, but to get a sense of proportion, if we want to get to two degrees, we need to cut 6,000 gigatons. So in a very basic way, you could say Paris, if it's phenomenally successful, will solve less than 1% of the task of getting to two degrees. Is that even measurable? Uh, no, that's why it'll give, you know, I've done the only period uh, article showing what that is actually going to do, but it's really not all that complicated. You run it in a standard model that the UN Climate Panel does, and you get that that's going to lower temperatures 
by 0.05 degrees. The second problem is that it will cost a huge amount of money. If we actually do everything we promised in Paris, we'll reduce temperatures by 0.05 degrees, but the cost using the best individually and collectively period models estimate that this will cost around a trillion dollars a year. So we'll basically pay a trillion dollars for the rest of the century to reduce temperatures trivially. That's not a very good deal. You're considered something of a traitor to the cause, are you not? <laughs> yes, because I'm pointing out, look, this is not working. Uh, and, of course, that really put a dampener to this wonderful party that everybody thought they were going to be throwing here in Paris. We're going to you know, promise all these things if we actually do them. Yeah, sure, we're going to pay a trillion dollars, but at least we're going to save the planet. The unfortunate part is, no, we're actually going to do almost no good. And when I tell people this, and, you know, this is incontrovertible. You can run the models. You get the same numbers yourself. When I tell people this who are really worried about global warming, they don't want to hear it because it somehow tells us we're on the wrong path. Look, we've been trying this for 21 times. Remember, uh, this is called COP21. So we've been trying for 21 summits over the last 21 years, and we've pretty much failed for the last 20. Why is it we would go to this one, this summit, and believe, oh, 21 is the magic number. Now we're actually going to fix global warming. It's going to be nothing of the sort. It's going to be a tiny reduction and, unfortunately, at a pretty hefty price tag. And you, you agree that global warming is taking place, and you agree that humans yeah. play a significant role in this. Yes. I mean, look, this is accepting all the U.N. climate science, which, by the way, I happen to think is pretty solid. So, fundamentally, there is a problem but we're solving it the wrong way. We're essentially trying to make fossil fuels so expensive, nobody wants it. This is very, very difficult to sell to rich country citizens because quite frankly, you know, people are willing to pay perhaps a percent of their GDP to increase costs somewhat of their electricity uh, bill, but they're not willing to pay what it actually takes to really shift to zero carbon energy. Can I get you and to course, just hold, no. can I get you to hold that thought? And, sure. and we'll come back, we'll take a break, and we'll continue, because Dr. Lomborg said to me the last time we spoke, he talked about what the result, uh, what the cost would be for a liter of gasoline. Um, if, if all of the things that the U.N. wants to put in place were to be in place, car and carbon taxes and cap-and-trade schemes, um, if they fail, what a liter of gasoline would cost. Park your car now and throw the keys away. We'll come right back. My guest is Dr. Bjorn Lomborg. He joins us from Paris from the UN Climate Conference. You can find him on Lomborg.com or CopenhagenConsensus.com. CopenhagenConsensus.com. That's the, uh, the Copenhagen Consensus Center, the think tank that Dr. Lomborg heads. His books include Cool It, How Much of Global Problems Cost the World. That's two books, not one. And uh, Dr. Lomborg is in Paris commenting daily for 25 international newspapers, including the Times of India and China Daily, and he's uh, with us. Um, Dr. Lomborg, what happens? You, you just started talking about it before we had to take the break. What happens to the cost of energy? What happens to basic consumer goods? What happens to the price of gasoline over the next years if the $2.5 trillion is spent the way the U.N. wants it spent over the next 20 years or so, 
and if things don't turn out the way they want them to turn out? Well, look, there's a lot of different proposals on the table. If you just take the, uh, the estimates from the International Energy Agency of what we're actually spending on solar and wind. Remember, a lot of people will try to tell you, oh, solar and wind is just about to be cost effective. We just need subsidies for a few more years. But of course, what happens is if you take away the subsidies, essentially all building stops. If you look at Spain, that took away most, not all, their subsidies, uh, they saw a reduction in their, uh, in their wind turbine placement of 98%. Essentially, nobody wanted to put up uh, any more wind turbines when they were not subsidized. If you estimate the total amount we're going to subsidize globally over the next 25 years, the International Energy Agency estimates we're going to spend almost $3 trillion to subsidize these wind turbines and solar panels. Now, you know, again, you might say, but $3 trillion if we save the planet, maybe that's worth it. But the truth is, if you run the model, the climate models, with how much we're going to not emit CO2, it turns out that we're going to lower temperatures by the end of the century by 0.02 degrees with all that solar and wind. So fundamentally, solar and wind may be a solution in the very long run, but it's not a solution in the next 25 years. It's essentially just a bottomless pit of subsidies. I believe you said to me, I have a note here from our last conversation, somehow the, the, the figure $11 for a liter of gasoline came into play. Yeah, so, you know, look, if, if you do the models and you say you want to get to two degrees, remember, actually, many models are now saying there is no way we can make it to two degrees. We're just simply too far down, far down the line. But some models still say you could do that. If you try to get to two degrees with the most effective targets possible, so that would basically be a carbon tax that ramps up over time, and that we'd be globally coordinated, so it'd be the same in Ethiopia and in China and in Canada. If you could actually do that, which of course is very, very speculative, the cost by the end of the century would be in the order of $11 per uh, liter of gasoline. You'd have to add $11 in order to get us to uh, two degrees, which is essentially a way of saying you cannot emit CO2 by the end of the century. Uh, now, most people would probably be somewhat reluctant even going down a slight uh, bit of the path down towards uh, $11 uh, a liter. And of course, it again underscores, we're going about this in the wrong way. We can't convince rich countries to do very much. And of course, we can't convince poor countries like India to not get rich and not lift people out of poverty with fossil fuels. So what are you suggesting? What's the, what's the counter-offer here? You, you want it uh, made cheaper to go green. What's the plan? Well, fundamentally, if we invest in research and development to get more innovation, so essentially if we focus on getting the new technologies that will actually make green so cheap, everybody will want to switch. Then we'll solve global warming. If we don't get those breakthrough technologies, if we keep having to subsidize them, we'll do it as a little boutique thing. We'll feel very good about ourselves, but we'll never solve the problem. So the reality is we need to start focusing on investing in research and development rather than what we're doing right now, which is just subsidizing existing inefficient technology. So we proposed 
together with three Nobel laureates and some of the world's top climate economists. Uh, and actually, more and more people are also talking about this. If you saw The Economist uh, in their, this week's uh, edition, they're actually talking very much about this. Investment in green energy technology is the way forward. Uh, we should increase that tenfold. We should be spending globally about $100 billion a year on research and development. It'd be a great investment for a lot of different reasons. It'd be a lot cheaper than the current failed policies, and it'll have a much better chance of actually getting technologies that not just rich, well-meaning Canadians will buy a little bit of, but everybody, including the poor Indians, will buy lots of. You understand this country, you understand Canada, and the situation that uh, they were facing. We have our, we have tremendous resources, um, natural resources, oil resources. We're talking about now introducing um, carbon taxes. We're talking about a national carbon tax. We're talking about provincial carbon taxes and, and a combination of carbon taxes and cap and trade. How does that all sound to you? Well, look, any economist would say that a low carbon tax is actually well uh, judged. We should have, you know, there's, there's a negative outcome of CO2, so we should have a low carbon tax. But if you introduce us, first of all, we should recognize that many countries are not going to do it. They're not going to do it well. But if you do it, you should also cut all subsidies to wind and solar. If you do any subsidies to wind and solar after that, you're essentially negating what you were trying to achieve because you're not making, you're not making CO2 cuts in the most effective way, you're very often doing it in an incredibly ineffective way. So if the Canadian government wants to do a small carbon tax that's equal to the damage of CO2, which is probably in the order of five, $5 per ton, that's the best meta study that we have in the world. $5 per ton of CO2, that's great. If they do more, and if they have also uh, subsidies for solar and wind, they're essentially screwing it up and they're making energy more expensive and not actually delivering what they really need, namely innovation for the future. We have about uh, 90 seconds, Dr. Lomborg. Please explain to us, uh, who are those of us who are climate skeptics, uh, about global warming uh, being real, about global warming being a problem, about it being human-induced. Explain to us how humans have created global warming, how it's a real problem when we're told there's been no global warming for the last 18 years, and how humans are responsible for a global warming cycle when cyclical warming was experienced in the Middle Ages and earlier. How are we supposed to put that together? Look, there's undoubtedly also cyclical impacts, and we know that from, for instance, the longest time series that we have in England. Uh, but there's probably also an overlay of increase when you get more CO2 in the atmosphere. You also get slightly higher temperatures. So the fundamental point here is there's almost no doubt that there is some global warming that are caused by humans. It's probably also going to be negative in the long run because we've all built our societies around a temperature that we have had in the past. And so even if uh, Helsinki and uh, Athens, for instance, live pretty well at very different temperatures, they're both adjusted to the temperature that they used to have. So when temperatures go up, it'll be costly in infrastructure. It's not the end of the world. It's a problem like many others, and we need to fix it. But please, let's fix it smartly rather than just throwing money at uh, solutions or proposed solutions. They'll do almost no good. Just literally seconds left. Are we in trouble with, the, with what they're proposing in Paris? Yes, of course we are. We're Serious basically trouble. suggesting let's do nothing, but let's spend a trillion dollars. That's a terrible solution. So the global economy could be in serious trouble. 
<laughs> it's not going to be the end of the economy. It's about a one and a half percent of GDP globally. But look, one trillion dollars, we could do a lot better than go. waste it on no good policies. Dr. Lomborg, it's uh, good to talk to you again. Thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're very busy and I appreciate Thank it you. greatly. Thank you. All the very best. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg, Lomborg.com is the website.